Thank you for coming to the podcast. Episode 50 Dose of Top Turtle MMA Podcast is brought to you by Sisu Mouthguard. Sisu makes the best mouthguard on the market. If you do a high-impact sport or activity like, I don't know, MMA, you're going to want to head on over to SISUGuard.com and check out the Max Guard, specifically designed for high-impact sports, 2.4 millimeters thin. You can talk, you can breathe, you can drink, all with the mouth guard in your mouth. I've recommended Sisu Mouth Guard to so many people, and whenever they come back to me and say, you were right, it's the best mouth guard ever invented, I say, I ain't surprised, mother... We are rolling. I am David Tremonti. He is Daniel Gumby Vreeland, the co-editor of MMA-Manifesto.com, part of the Sports Daily Network, our mothership. We're available there. Also, TuneIn, Stitcher, SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, wherever a podcast is being streamed. Thanks so much for listening. One of the things I love about our podcast is we don't like to waste time. We're not overly sarcastic, douchey MMA commentators who want to go on and on about how much we know and make jokes and talk about our day and our hair. We just want to talk about MMA fights and what we love about the sport. You know, real barbershop talk. So with that said, Gumby, in the aftermath of UFC 207, one day removed from it, are you ready to talk some MMA? Oh, God, is there uh, is there anything to talk about following that event? Yeah, you know, you're right. Let's just go home. There's really nothing to talk about in UFC 207. I guess we'll start with the main event. What did you think? I mean, oof. Um, it's hard to break down exactly what you think about that fight because, you know, for me, I came in with this expectation that, you know, Rousey was a, a changed woman. She had, like, you know, worked on her boxing. She was, like, in better shape. And it didn't look that way, but but I'm in this, like, torn state where I'm trying to decide if she looks so bad in her boxing because the first punch landed. Because really, that's... It, when I went back and watched all 48 seconds of it, I really think that the first, very first punch landed and she was dazed for 48 seconds. Yeah, so, okay, let me ask you this. I want to frame it like this. If someone came up to you on the street, put a gun to your head, and said, I need you to tell me what happened at the tail end of Ronda Rousey's career, because I'm assuming this is it for her career. She walked out of the octagon. I don't think we'll ever see her again. I, I don't think so either. So let's just go under that assumption for right now. And let's go back to my metaphor. Someone has a gun placed to your temple and says, tell me what happened to Ronda Rousey's career. I'm going to give you two options. Was it one, psychological? Was it that Holly kind of defeated the Beast? Her coach pumped her up thinking her boxing was better than it was, and when that air of invincibility was gone, she gets hit with that first strike in the Amanda Nunes fight and just mentally crumbles. She couldn't do media today. Was it psychological, or was it as simple as something more scientific? She moved on to Hollywood, had one foot out the door, and while she was very successful early on in the women's bantamweight division, the fledgling UFC women's bantamweight division, Almost like a Hoist Gracie who utilized jiu-jitsu when no one else knew it, Ronda utilized her Olympic judoka game, and now the sport has caught up with her. She's been out for 13 months. Amanda Nunes has been doing nothing but training at ATT with killers. Did the sport catch up with Ronda Rousey? I, I would say the the latter. Yeah, your your option that the sport caught up with her, and I'm not even necessarily certain that the sport had to catch up with her. I, I think the UFC needed to fill the division with the right girls because, or the right women. Uh, I I don't think when they started the bantamweight division, it was like filled with killers. It was kind of like when you first started 
um, you know, any division. You know, think think about when they implemented the flyweight division. Yeah, there were a couple of killers there, but there weren't any and any like real top guys challenging Mighty Mouse. And, and I mean, there still isn't to some extent. It takes a while for those people to build up to the challenger and to get the parody of that division. You know, n- nothing against, you know, Alexis Davis or Sarah McMahon or... Well, well, hold on. Those are great examples because I find them very one-dimensional as well. Yeah, Alexis it... Davis was just kind of jiu-jitsu. McMahon, just a wrestler. And Ronda, well, with <laughs> Alexis Davis, all, it was one judo throw and done. Uh, you know, I think we had an inflated idea of Ronda striking from the uh, Sarah McMahon fight. No, uh, are you thinking of Sarah McMahon, or are you thinking when she knocked out, um, what's her face? Betch Correa. Betch Correa. Well, I'm thinking of Sarah McMahon because of the kidney shot. Oh, That right, was right. very that, impressive. That was pretty impressive. But bottom line is, Sarah McMahon is nothing to write home about when it comes to striking. Well, th- that's what I think, too, is that she ran into a bunch of people who, don't get me wrong, are, are excellent fighters in their own regards, but it's not that like elite-level thing we're talking about. Now we have three, four, five elite Bantamweights at I'm the top so of the I'm so glad you said that. I, and I think the difference is, and what I guess I'm trying to say is, when I look at the best strikers in the division, I think of a Holly Holm. I think of an Amanda Nunes. I think of a Valentina Shevchenko, who I would predict to just beat the brakes off of Ronda Rousey right now. Yeah, I, I would probably take her in a fight with Rousey. I, I think she. Would, I mean, it might be close. But... I, I think she would light her up, but at least standing. Yeah, you know, if, oh, Ron, if Ronda couldn't get into the clinch. Yeah. But when you compare that to the Sarah McMahon's, the Alexis Davises, or Betch, who just tried to stand there and do like a wild pit bull like barroom brawl with yeah. Rousey. Um, you know, an elite striker, it seems like today, would beat Ronda Rousey. So now let me ask you this question. Um, if Ronda were to come back, and we all know everyone's piling on Edmund. We did it, too, after the Holly loss. There's corner audio of him just helpless. It's almost sad, just saying, move, move, head movement, head, head movement. movement. Yeah, yeah, I heard that, too. Um, what what would you think of a Ronda Rousey comeback? What would that look like to you? And obviously a camp switch well, would I, be needed. I think the camp switch is, is a good idea, if nothing else, but for her psyche. You know, a, a lot of people are, are quick to knock Edmund, but you remember she was like a freaking 8-0 or 9-0 amateur and a 12-0 pro under him. Uh, so yeah, two losses in the striking department, and he can take a lot of shit for that. A camp switch would be a good start. I mean, she looked really lean there. I, I almost wonder if she could make 15 or if she would be the... I was thinking like a catchway to one... I think she could make 125 I mean, and then you know, her and Paige th- could have like a... That would be a hell of a way to get freaking uh, people excited about adding a 125 division, right? I right. mean, like, she's the one who brought the women's divisions to the UFC. She could be the one to bring the 25 division. I mean, there are fighters out there that could fill that division. So, uh, I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, the fact, here's another thing. I really think she sleptwalked through this whole thing. I don't necessarily know that, you know, when she was out in Hollywood this past year recovering, was she training the amount that Amanda Nunes was training? I would bet no. Well, and I think, I, I think it's hard to question how much she trains because nobody knows that except for her and her coach. What I do know is I think the level of training at, at whatever Edmonds Gym, what's Edmonds Gym called there? Uh, uh, Glendale Fight Club. Glendale Fight Club. I think the level of training at Glendale Fight Club is lower than the level of training at America Top Team. And that's Fair the to difference say. here. And, and it, it's no knock on necessarily the coaches, but like, you know, name me six female fighters fighting out of, you know, Glendale Fight Club. Uh, yeah. You know, you get like Marina Schaffer, who is who fought Invicta. Haven't they all moved to professional wrestling? Actually, yeah, I don't think well, Shayna no, Baszler Shana B- fights Baszler, anymore. Yeah, yeah uh, Jessamyn Duke. You know, like th- those are the level of people there. Think about the killers at American Top Team. I mean, like 
Joanna uh, Janjic trains there. Yeah, Janjic trains there. Enough said, right? You throw a period on it. Maybe the best women's striker in the world mm-hmm. fights out of that gym. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's the kind of training Amanda Nunes is getting every day, and and that can't be, you know, that can't be knocked. Uh, any change. To a major camp, you know, somewhere like uh, Henzo's, somebody where Jackson like, Wing, Jackson Tristar, Wing, Tristar, even yeah. MMA Lab. I would love to see her at MMA Lab working with Mackenzie Dern every day as she grows up. You know, be a good good grappling partner for Dern. Um, yeah, I mean, anywhere like that would be huge for her. Kings MMA is in Southern California. Yeah. They'd have to kick Betch to the curb. But yeah, I, I think in the end of the day, though, I, I think this is the end for her. Yeah, and, me too. and it, you know, she walks out of here with three million dollars. She she's not like she doesn't live the lavish Conor McGregor lifestyle. She's good, you know. She's, she's good. good, and she has other ways she can make money. I, I don't see her walking back in. I, I also have to say the whole thing with not doing media in the lead up to the fight. I really think that actually kind of played a part in just looking at the overall like the mental state of Ronda Rousey. She didn't. I don't really believe she wanted to be back in there and fighting. And when you look at her and Connor, like, you know, Connor loses in March to Nate Diaz and he's instantly like, I want to recreate what happened. It's got to be at 170. Get me back in there soon. Ronda loses to Holly. We don't see her for 13 she months. Didn't want she either. didn't want Holly either. Yeah. Right. And I think that was a, a bad sign. Now, one thing we usually do when we talk about these fights, Gumby, I ask you, where do they go from here? But our job is already done in both the co-main events. Uh, you know, they've basically already said Juliana Pena versus Valentina Shlavenko will get Amanda Nunes. Yeah, yeah. which headlines the card in Denver in January. And I got to say, even though we just saw Nunes versus Shevchenko, uh, Shevchenko I, took the third round off of Nunes. And, and I think the fact that she survived rounds one and two, if that was a five-round fight, I think Shevchenko wins it. So very interesting on either matchup. And, uh, you know, if if the, if the Ronda Rousey, I wanted to call her the GOAT. I think she's still the GOAT. She, yeah, she's, she's the GOAT. The, the... If, if the GOAT, uh, up to this point, wanted to come back, you know, maybe she could take... I wouldn't put her against Shevchenko just because of Shevchenko striking, but she maybe... She's like Pena with a loss. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, yeah, that would be a fun fight Or for someone her. like get get her, her wings back underneath her with well, like a like, Rocky Pennington or well, something. Or like you said, catch weight fight with... Uh, well, Rocky Pennington right now is dangerous. She just beat the pants off of fucking Misha Tate. I st- I, this is, <laughs> no, well said. I do want to say, though, I still I still like Rousey against a lot of people in the division. Yeah. I don't like her against the elite strikers, though. It, she just looked too statuesque well, against... It, again, again, though, bringing back to my original point go for full circle on this one i don't know if she looks shitty in her boxing because she already got hit or because her boxing shitty right and, and i think because she got lit up with that first strike we'll never know well and that's another thing back to the mental aspect of it it was did holly kill the mike tyson-esque aura that Ronda walked into these fights with and then when Amanda kind of continued that saga with that punch right down Broadway to start the fight she just went into a shell it, it could have been that could have been stunned we'll never know we'll never know all right let's move to the co-main event this to me Gumby uh you know Cody Garbrandt won in a uh, unanimous decision victory over uh Dominic Cruz star-making performance for me. If I were to tell you that one of the fighters in this co-main event would be talking shit, utilizing some of the best movement we've ever seen in the history of the sport, and would be so far in his opponent's head it was scary, you'd I would think Dominic, Dominic Cruz. What Garbrandt did is nothing short of stunning, and I don't, I didn't hear one uh, pundit predict that, Dom, uh, that Cody Garbrandt had that type of movement in his repertoire. We've never seen that. He's been more of a, you've compared him to Chuck Liddell. Perfect. Up to last night. Perfect comparison. Yeah. What we saw last night was like, I've only seen it out of 
Mighty Mouse, TJ Dillashaw, certain aspects of Jose Aldo, and Dominic Cruz himself. I, I feel like he looked like TJ Dillashaw's head movement, only better and with power. Yeah. Which is freaking scary, right? <laughs> because that's like the knock on TJ Dillashaw, right? Like he hits, but he doesn't hit all that hard. Same with, same with Cruz. He'll pick away at you, and he'll hit you with everything, but he's not going to knock you out. Right. But Garbrandt. Garbrandt looked like he was going to knock out the, the overhand, or the, it was a hook. I think it was a right hook. Right hook lands on, on Cruz, and he just points at him on the ground. And that's amazing. Where, I'm pretty sure he's a long-lost Diaz cousin. That was some incredible in-cage trolling, by the way. The oh, push-up in the fifth round. So good. And this is why I call it a star-making performance. Um, and I want to point to... Um, I think it was Kevin Lee tweeted, this is what the UFC gets for promoting fake motherfuckers who don't want to be here, and he cited Sage, Paige, Ronda. And I, I wouldn't say that about Ronda. I think there was a bit of an overhype with Paige, and I, you know, we've talked about Sage, yeah. Ken and Barbie, and, and that marketing push. But I have to say, I really think the UFC has a star in their hands. Cody Garbrandt looks like a model. He has skills. And he has a badass biker tattoo on his neck. He checks every box you'd want. And I think in that post-fight speech in the octagon, you, you just had everything in a star. He puts the belt around a kid's waist who has leukemia, who's become his friend. And then at the end of it, he caps it off with TJ Dillashaw, come at me, motherfucker. It was oh, great. It, he, I, I, I agree 100%. He's got like the, the like past bad boy story, too, where, you know, like he's, uh, is he a recovering addict, right? I, I and, think so. And yeah. That's when he met the kid with leukemia. Right. And he decided he was going to get clean and be UFC champion, and the kid was going to beat leukemia, and they were like friends through it all. Mm -hmm. Brings the kid in the cage. So it's like this, like, rags to riches, you know, dumps to the top story. Uh, and he, you know, like you said, he's damn good. He looks tough. He's like the perfect. You know, with with Ronda gone seemingly forever mm -hmm. and Connor gone for ten months, this could be the person who steals the spotlight. And he's from Cleveland. They just ran a mega successful show in September, UFC two hundred three. So if they wanted to go back to Cleveland and with him in, in Stepe as the headliner, sell that motherfucker oh out. LeBron God. will be in the building tweeting about it. I mean, that's how you make a star. And yep. this, I believe, is a real star because we know he wants to be here, championship level, and just. I, I'm just shocked at that performance. I didn't think that type of movement existed in Cody Garbrandt. No, I didn't either. But, you know, what? it really shows, again, you know, not to keep harping on, on Rousey here, but this is what happens when you go to an elite camp. Mm. You go to an elite camp, work with elite coaches, work with elite fighters. I mean, he's there working with Joseph Benavidez on his head movement, Uriah Faber on his head movement. I mean, like, the people there are no joke. Constantly evolving. Yeah, and, and well, I guess Benavidez is now at elevation. But you know what I mean? He, I, I think he's, he's a little with, bit of two. I, your point stands. He's worked with Benavidez. And he's worked there's with more high is a beast. There's more high-level talent coming into the doors of uh, of um, oh, Alpha no. Male than, than Glendale Fight Club. Um now, uh, we've been talking about him, uh, and it's already been said, or we assume, that he'll be fighting for the title. TJ Dillashaw put in a masterful performance against John Lineker. Um, Lineker, hands of stone, but also chin of stone as well. I thought TJ might get a finish in a ground and pound style, but bottom line is those takedowns were lightning fast, and obviously his head movement, footwork, uh, working with Dwayne Bain Ludwig, Ludwig is incredible, so I'm very uh, excited for him versus Cody Garber. Do you think that that's definitely going to happen though yeah 
You you think so? Because there's a part of me who just doesn't believe that they don't let Cruz get another crack at it. That I mean, I would I would riot. I would boycott. T.J. Dillashaw lost his title in a split decision last January. He then beat, uh, you know, two killers. In well, I don't, I don't know if Asuncao is a killer anymore. He was. He was I, I on mean, a like, seven-fight win streak. He, uh, well, a seven-fight win streak over how many years? Okay, he won two in a row <laughs> yeah. after losing his title via split decision and looked awesome against John uh, Lineker, who everyone I, was... Yeah, not to detract yeah. from Dillashaw, but the two wins are not over people who were title challengers. You know what I mean? Like uh, John Lineker wasn't a title challenger. He would have if he won that fight. Well, I mean, yeah, well, you could say that about a lot of people, too, that they would be if they won that fight. I mean, Cruz is his. I mean, he's got one loss, and it was almost ten years ago. It, to not give him a second shot. Uh, well, T.J. Dillashaw didn't get a second. Well, shot. Well, T.J. Dillashaw didn't get a second shot because who did he defend his title against? Henan Barrow once. Yeah, but Henan Barrow was also the king was, for two right. years. You're right. In, the, in what he was the king for two years, and what happened when he lost? He got his title shot right after. He got a rematch and, immediately. But T.J. Dillashaw didn't. So you could cite it both Dillashaw ways. T.J. Dillashaw was only the champ for what? Six months? He still defended the title once. Actually, once. twice. And how many, times did, how many times did Dominic Cruz defend it without losing it? In this, in this instance, oh, though, once. But, but he's Favorite. been the champ since I, I, 2007, I in think my mind. I think it's fine to not give Dominic Cruz an immediate rematch. Dillashaw's fresh. And here's something else. We're in the William Morris Morris era, people. This is a grudge match written right out of Hollywood. They're former training partners, TJ yeah. Dillashaw and Cody Garbrandt. There's apparently training footage of Cody Garbrandt knocking out TJ Dillashaw, flatlining him cold. They've been talking shit for months, and the new champ, and as I said, star-making performance, called TJ Dillashaw out. Yeah, so well, he also did say in the post-fight press conference that he's fine running it back against Cruz. Yeah, I mean, he should be fine with either. He's the champion. Yeah. But that being said, I think it's Dillashaw. And again, I think that would be a crime against humanity. He lost the title in a split decision. Dominic Cruz lost his title in a majority decision. Uh, a unanimous decision. Unanimous yeah. decision. Sorry, yes. Yep. Unanimous. Although, have you seen those cards? They by were the way? all over the place. They were fucking it, it, dumb. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, uh, Who the hell gave. One of the judges gave Cruz the first. And one judge gave Garbrand the second, and I was like, "How? I don't, I, did you give? I gave Cruz the fifth. I gave him the fifth and the second. Yeah, me too. Two and, two I and gave, five. I gave Garbrand one, one three, three and, and possibly a two for four. Uh, wait, repeat that. One three, three and possibly a ten eight round in the fourth. Oh yeah, I absolutely gave him a ten eight round in the fourth. Yeah, and that was exactly Derek Cleary's. Score. Yeah. Derek Cle- Cleary he wins the day. Perfect wins the day. All the the two other judges, you get the fucking numbers right, but you got nothing else right. Um, moving on, just the rest of the the show. I found, and we'll do this lightning quick. I found uh, Dung Young Kim versus Safadine. Touch boring. I expected a little more for it. They were very heavy on the clinch game last night, both of them. So you'd get like moments of striking and that, then right into the clinch. Those, those judges' scorecards were awful, though. Right? Yeah, I had Safadine winning that too. <laughs> Me too. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and if you look at MMA decisions, I think three people had it a draw in like nine had it to Safadine and none for Kim. Here's one other thing that's such a shame, and we had him on the podcast talking about the evolution of MMA. His wrestling and grappling looked really good. Yeah, against the guy who's got good takedowns. Safadine, I'm talking about. Yep. Very impressive. Yeah, yeah. so I like I like the evolution of Safadine at um at TriStar, and then your boy Ray Borg, I, that was a great grappling performance yeah. on his part. I mean, he's such a good grappler, dude. I love watching that dude grapple. I told you once I saw his debut that he's a fighter who I'll never miss 
miss another fight of. What other performances did you like on the night, Gumby? Well, I, I really do think that uh, maybe one of the most surprising performances to me is uh, how Nico Price came in on short notice and just absolutely murdered uh, Brandon Thatch, who I don't expect to be in the UFC I, yeah, anymore. He's on I the mean, chopping block. I, I had him as somebody who should definitely win that fight, and it was just so shocking to see. Um, a little bit upsetting on the, the Dirty Bird uh, decision there because those were illegal knees, but I, I definitely think he probably couldn't see what was down. Um, I'm trying to think of anything else. Uh, that really stood you had out. your boy, uh, oh. again, TriStar Alex Garcia KOing yeah. Mike Pyle. Oof. Yeah, that was violent. I had Pyle. I, I expected Pyle to win that too. So for him to go down like that, just just kind of tough to watch and then one years old and then what did you think of magni defeating uh hendrix i did think him being active off his back good was, yeah 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 i was I, fine I, with that. I was fine with the judges score but i also was impressed with hendrix he came back to the wrestle boxer that we knew he was which he said he was going to do when we interviewed him uh i i do think the best move for him now is to go to 85 and just get this weight gain off of his back you know like once i think once he stops worrying about cutting weight all the time I bet you he becomes a more dangerous fighter. It's the the Donald Cerrone effect. My only concern with that, Gumby, is he would have the shortest reach in uh, middleweight, and I believe he would be the shortest person at middleweight. I just see him getting kind of bullied, but... Well, you you could say that, too, but his wrestling is pretty elite if he bulked up a little bit. Like, I, I mean, there are guys he could bully with wrestling there. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. uh, you know... Would you put him in a fight with Michael Bisping? Could you imagine him taking Bisping down? I could. Sure. You know, and, you know, Bisping's technically the champ there, whether or not you think he's, like, the most dominant person in the division. You know, I don't see him beating people like Luke Rockhold or or Chris Weidman or Jacare. Um, But, you know, hell, I'd watch him fight Musasi. Okay, fair enough. Um, and then this is the last thing I want to say about UFC 207. Uh, it was Gold Mike Goldberg's last uh, show as lead announcer. And, you know, you and I talked about this a little bit offline. It feels kind of like uh, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. We know we've talked about this on the show already. We know Goldberg has his issues. Yeah. But he I, I think, you know. He's the voice of the UFC in its growing stages, and I think there's always going to be sort of a, even though I know he's not a good play-by-play, uh, there's just sort of an affinity for Mike Gold- Goldberg for yeah, me, yeah, and I, I, I'm I, very scared by the rumor of Jim Rome, because Jim Rome is not a play-by-play guy. Well, and that's not what scares me the most about somebody like Jim Rome stepping in either. So the thing that I love the most about Mike Goldberg is how he will absolutely positively flatter every fighter who walks into the cage. Mm-hmm. He says the nicest shit about people, even when it's not true. I mean, if you ever saw the the footage of him doing the the preview announcing to uh, Anderson Silva versus Travis Luter, and he called Travis Luter the Michael Jordan, the Michael of, Jordan of grappling, yeah. <laughs> which is idiotic. Rogan, you know, yeah, Rogan corrects him a couple of times. He says, "Well, the Larry Bird," and he goes, "Does that guy even play basketball?" It's really funny interaction. But that's the type of thing you got with Mike Goldberg. Somebody who the fighters liked because he only said nice things about him. Joe Rogan's a little bit more honest in his critique about who's who's got, you know, issues in their game. You put somebody like Jim Rome in there who who, you know, his first affinity is to insult everything that happens. You know, like Jim Rome got his own show on ESPN for a while because he was insulting everything. You know, Jim Rome yeah. is burning is about him insulting people for an hour. Right. You put a guy who's insulting and a guy who's honest next to each other, like, 
it comes off like insulting every single fighter. You need somebody in there who's like unabashedly it, flattering the fight everybody. Game, the fight game is insulting enough on its own. You know what I mean? You're it's out humbling. there in your underwear. Uh, you're going to get beaten in the most humiliating of ways. I, I agree with that point so much about Goldberg. He really did highlight the, the positives. Now, it, I also like that he, he, for the most part, and he didn't as much early on in his career, he deferred to Rogan, who is obviously the MMA expert. In MMA, it's weird. The play-by-play actually sort of falls to the color guy because things are happening so lightning quick that you need that explanation of what is this man going for? What is a Darce? What is a guillotine? You just need somebody to set Rogan up, essentially. That's all you're looking for is someone to set Rogan up. Is Jim Rome going to check his ego enough to set Rogan up? Absolutely not. The other thing is the UFC, much like WWE... I think the lead announcer has become much like air traffic controller. You're doing all the promotions, what's coming up next. Hey, UFC video game, blah, 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 sponsors this. And to me, Goldberg was fine at that. So I don't know. You know what? We don't really know what happened there, whether they wanted to get rid of him. And don't I I think they had to have gotten rid of him because if you listen to the broadcast, nobody even made mention that he was leaving. Well, they actually in the end, he got on the rollout. He got to say, you guys will always be my family. Thank you. But but I don't think anyone was watching that because the rollout as the show was ending and they're doing the highlights of the thing that happened 20 minutes after the final fight. So no one was watching. Yep. Um, so yeah, I agree. That was sort of classless. His uh, son actually tweeted out that it was classless, oh, which is yeah. kind of funny. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I agree, and and I just hope they fill the role with somebody like him. You know, a, a really good pick for that role would be, uh, do you know Michael Chavello from Axis TV's yeah. fights? He does CBS yeah. MMA. He does agree completely. Know, yes. Yeah, he does a really good play by play. He's knowledgeable, and he would defer to Rogan all the time. I think somebody like that would be great. I would like someone from the MMA world, to be honest with you. But again. I mean, here's the one thing I will say. That role, at this point, you can almost just record someone early in the day and play a button when they need to read, like, you yeah. know, this I, fight is sponsored by blah, 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 mm-hmm. and just yeah. let Rogan be out there. I, I mean, I agree with that. Uh, it, and I also think, you know, giving it to any of the in-house guys would be a good choice. But Anik. Yeah, Anik. Um, you know, Florian. uh you can't well, Dominic Cruz. Yeah, nah, you can't. Re- those fighters aren't going to be able to do the air traffic control. What part. about Brian Stan? I, I mean, like Brian Stan can do that. Nah. I think he can. I don't know. It's tough, man. I mean, you're you're reading a lot of promos. You got directors in your ear. You kind of need someone with a broadcast background. That's. I, I mean, yeah, I think that would be a good idea. But but you know, if it comes down to me, somebody like Jim Rome or one of those in-house guys. The f- former fighters? I take the former fighters. Well, if it comes down to an in-house guy, I'm taking John Anik. Yeah. He's an totally. actual play-by-play slash air traffic controller. For the job. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right. So we will move now. That wraps up UFC 207. We got a chance to catch up with Paul, the Bear Jew Craig, friend of the show. Second time we're uh, checking in with him because he just had a masterful performance against Luis Enrique Da Silva at UFC on Fox 22. Uh, got a submission armbar in the second round, and we had to catch back up with him to talk about it. I think a lot of people noticed Paul Craig after this fight. So, I want to mention, this interview with Paul Craig is brought to you by Datsusara Hemp Gear. Datsusara Hemp Gear is perfect for fight gear. It's antimicrobial, and if you've ever been in an MMA gym, you know how important that is. A lot of microbes running around, and it's super durable. Head on over to dsgear.com, enter in promo code TOPTURTLE, get yourself a nice little discount. We highly recommend the grappling shorts. If you're a gi guy, uh, they have hemp gis, hemp belts for your gis. Pretty awesome stuff. 
head on over to dsgear.com, check it out. Datsusara Hemp Gear brings you our interview with UFC fighter Paul Craig. This is Daniel Gumby Vreeland here with my co-host Dave Tremonte, and we are speaking to, fresh off of his recent win and his performance bonus, Paul the Bear Chew Craig, who obviously got that awesome, slick uh, triangle armbar against Enrique De Silva. First of all, Paul, uh, congrats on the big win. Uh, What was it like to hear Dana say, you are the one who's taking home the performance bonus? Well, uh, I was sitting round about with my coach and uh, well, my coach and my team and they were on they went on his mobile phone and he, he made this wee high pitched squeal. My coach went, Huh <laughs> And I was like, What is it? And he's like, You've just won the bonus And it I I, I still don't think it's kinda sunk in, you know. I know it's life changing money, um but I don't think it changes me much and you know, I'm I'm really pleased that it's making gonna make my life a, a wee bit easier and it's gonna make my training easier um, and it means I'm not going to have to rely on sponsorship as much but I'm, I'm still me man and I'm, I'm not in this game for money and I've said that for the start it's, money's a very very small part of this game and we know it uh, we see guys and there's only like a small percentage of the guys in MMA who make proper money so it was, it's a nice feeling and it's going to make my life easier but it's, uh, it's, 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 it's cool so, so you, you know, you mentioned obviously that it's going to make life easier, help pay for training a little bit. So, so those are the fun or the the responsible things that we're supposed to do with money when we get a big pile of money plopped down in our lap. What's the fun thing, Paul the Bear Jew Craig is going to do with the money when he gets it? See, you're going to you're going to think I'm born. Um, I I'm not going to go out and blow it. The, the first thing I did is I went to the shops, and because the people who suffer the most round about me, with regards to training, is my family. I just went out and bought them loads of nice Christmas presents, and I know it sounds boring, and I'm not saying I'm going to, like, you just want to hear me saying, man, I'm going to get me a Ferrari, I'm going to go and get me, I'm going to get me lashed, I'm going to get drunk, I'm going to, but nah, that's, the things I've done is just been like, uh, went and got my family uh, nice presents, because they're the ones who suffer, uh, and then took my, like, mum, dad, and uh, my immediate family out for a meal, uh, all on me, and tomorrow I'm doing the same for the guys in the gym so I'm happy just to give the money away like just to give it to the guys who have helped me to get where I'm and I'm sure there'll be plenty more opportunities to win bonuses absolutely and that that's awesome to hear like you said you know some people might think that's boring but it, it's just awesome to hear for us Let, let's talk a little bit more about the performance too so uh you know Obviously, a very dominant first round. You got to some like crucifix likes positions. You landed a bunch of elbows. He was bleeding really profusely. You come out yeah. in the second round. He looks gassed. He looked really tired, at least from a, a viewer's standpoint. You know, what led to the decision for you to basically, I mean, you basically pulled guard. You pulled a, a butterfly guard. What led to that decision? Well, we wanted to showcase our stand up, and we did it. We did it. We done it in a pretty good fashion, you know. I landed, watching it back, I landed that uh, left uh, body kick, I landed some really good shots up top, bust his face open with a dirty box, and I felt like when I went into my corner, my coach and that said, like, Paul, this guy, and prior to us going in there, we knew that people had gassed themselves out punching him. People, he's won fights by allowing people to punch him and gassing, so then he just comes forward. So my, my coach is like, Paul, stick to the game plan. Set up your shots, set up your takedown, get him to the ground, and then go for the submission. So I had leathered him with some punches, I pushed him up against the cage, he reversed me, 
um, when I went to go for the the double leg. So when I come up, I felt I felt really strong and I felt really fresh. I was like, man, I can I know I can beat him on the ground here. And um, I had that um, guillotine in, and I would have finished it if it wasn't for the blood allowing him to get a wee bit more space. So I pulled him on top of me, and it just felt natural to like, man, I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to fight off my back. Like on the grounds where I'm the happiest, and he decided to try and do a Toriado pass, sloppy, and fling an overhand right at the same time, and I managed to nail that triangle. Defended his triangle, armbar was there, and um, just by the, the way it finishes, if he had defended that armbar, I was going back to the triangle to finish that submission. So it was like this game of chess where I was like a wee bit, I was a few steps ahead of him in the submission game. Uh, you've been super vocal since the win. You won a top 15 opponent, uh, which is absolutely the right move. Um, who is it that you want? And, and and if who, you know, why them? Well, I've had, a, I've had a bit of stick by saying I want a Brazilian legend. And I had this, I've already had this planned out. Like, you know, I would like to fight somebody who is going to add to my fan base and get my name out there. And I think a Brazilian legend, you know, we've got two legends in that top 10 we have got Shogun Hua and we've got Little Nog and I had said this and I had taken a bit of stick online where people are saying who the F do you think you are uh, calling out these legends you're nobody and uh, it's already getting people talking because these are the guys I want and these are the guys I know I can beat um, looking at the top 15 there's nobody in there who actually scares me there's nobody in there who I would look at and say oh we've got no chance of beating him I said it the other night every man is beatable in that division, every man is beatable, regardless of what division you're in. There's always a way to beat somebody, and it's all about how hard you train, how much you want it, and what you're going to sacrifice to get to that point. And at this precise moment, I've not got a, I've not got many years left on my clock. I'm 29. I don't want to be doing this when I'm in my 40s. I don't want to be getting my head punched for pillar to post when I'm 35, leading up to 40. I don't want to do that. So I want to do as much damage as I possibly can right now and i think a, a brazilian legend would do that uh, that's that's very well said and i think very smart on on your part you know we've actually spoken on this show before how it's very frustrating uh sometimes when we have a an up-and-coming fighter who who we like and respect much like we do you and then when they're asked in the octagon what do you want next and they just say ah whoever and i think the the playbook's out there you know conor mcgregor basically wrote that playbook just call yeah. call people out you know call yeah. out that next name that you can make your name off of i'll give you a recent example Corey anderson had a win a couple of weeks back they asked who do you want he said nikita krylov nikita krylov uh lost the next night so now that was a wasted call out i think uh you know you want to call out people who are coming off wins or who have big names and and that's just the way you have to move up in the ufc these days uh no questions about it so how quickly do you want back in the cage ideally when do you fight again well i am i was very vocal about wanting to fight in london um march uh, march uh, Mm -hmm. i think it's too far away. I'll get out of that fight with no injuries at all. I'm wanting to get back in as soon as possible. As I said, I'm wanting to make a massive uh, assault on that division and make my way to the top as quickly as I possibly can. Conor McGregor did it in four fights, so why can't I? And that's the way I'm looking at it. I am looking to make a proper crack, and hopefully by the ending next year, 2017 is going to be a tremendous year for the Scottish. I'm, I'm certain about that, and I'm looking to be in the mix in that top top five. Is this the type of situation, too, where if somebody had dropped out of a big-name fight, you'd feel comfortable stepping in, seeing as you are so fresh and you are ready right now? Yep. Um, I, I like the whole back-to-back fight camp. So 
they're good. Um, I didn't get any medical suspensions because there was no damage done to me. Um, none at all. Like it wasn't even like like I had like a head knock or uh, maybe damage my shin or damage some muscle. There was nothing at all. I'm fresh. I'm ready to go. You know, I know there's the uh, Las Vegas card is at February time. And then we've got the Nova Scotia card as well, and there's uh, there's another few cards dotted amongst it. It doesn't even need to be um, a UFC uh, pay-per-view I'll be fight on. I'll find any show at all. So um, the message is going to be sent out there, and I'm going to uh, contact the matchmaker and say, listen, we're ready. MD pulls out whether or, whether or not it's fighting for a title, man. We'll do it. And I've said this countless times. I, I love... I grew up watching 80s films. They're like... I love them, and I love that Rocky, you know, where he has that once-in-a-lifetime chance where they offer him the title, right? He loses the first time, but hey, he comes back and he wins. So that's what I like, and that's what I would like to, you know, that's what I would like to do. I think it's kind of a cool thing. Boom. I love it. Well, hey, Paul, we can't thank you enough for the time. We spoke with you before your first fight in the UFC, and it was just an awesome performance, and we're so happy for you. Um, And let's try to catch up with you when that fight does get booked, hopefully here in the next couple of months, and we'll get you back on, okay? Excellent, man. It's always a pleasure to speak to you dudes, man. Yeah, awesome, and thanks for having us on. All right, Gumby, there you have it, Paul the Bear Jew Craig. I love talking to that dude, and uh, it, it was kind of cool to hear him say, you know, give the honest answer about what he's doing with his money, buying Christmas presents for his family, rather than, you know, the the typical answer you get with fighters sometimes, that they're going to go blow it on a crazy night somewhere. That was nice of him. I like that dude. Um, all right, so this wraps up the year. I guess this is our last show of the year, even though we'll probably release it right at the stroke of midnight. Um but yeah, let's talk about 2016. That was our first year doing a podcast. We of course thank our fans for tuning in. By the way, you can follow us on Twitter at Top Turtle MMA uh, or email the show with love or hate mail uh, Top Turtle MMA at Gmail. But Gumby, let's talk about Fight of the Year and Fighter of the Year. Let's take it from Fight of the Year first. I would say in contention, and I'm actually just freestyling here off the top of my head. Year kicked off with a bonkers fight: Carlos Condit versus Robbie Lawler. And that was the front runner for like the entire year. For the entire year, then I mean. I also I want to throw some uh, spotlight on Cruz versus Dillashaw. I know it doesn't get a lot of votes, but I, it was a te- very technical fight. I was there for that, and if if you're voting for a technical fight, that's number one. Then, it's the most technical thing I've seen in a long time. Then you have uh, Nathan Diaz versus Conor McGregor Dose in August, which I think I'm going to give my pick to you just because the stakes were so high, biggest pay-per-view ever. And then I think the one that most people go with, Duhu Choi versus Cub Swanson, UFC on Fox 22. What are you picking? If I'm voting from like a monumental standpoint, I agree with you, Conor's uh, victory is the biggest. But if I, we're talking about entertainment value, pure entertainment value, uh, for me, it's either the beginning or the end of the year. It's Lawler Condit or it's um, Troy Swanson. And I think I'm tending to lean a little bit towards Troy Swanson because I just watched it twice. I mm-hmm. watched it on UFC on Fox 22, and then I watched the replay on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day or whatever it was. I think if I went back and watched Condit Lawler again, I think I'd vote Condit Lawler. Yeah. I, oh, man. That's it, it's really just tough... so long ago, and you've seen so many fights, and you're like, well, I mean, that one that one was good, but but if you remember the feeling right after you watched it, where you were like, damn, we didn't want to give Condit that title shot, and I'm so glad we did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, all right, now let's talk uh, Fighter of the Year. Um, I think you have a couple of guys in the mix here. Well, I think we, we talked. I, I want to mention this. We talked about it like a week ago, who we would vote for Fighter of the Year, maybe two weeks ago, 
and we it was pretty much a debate between Stipe and Michael Bisping, right? Like, uh, yeah. And now I think you have to throw Garbrandt into the mix. Four and Four and Beat the three goat first round knockout. Yeah, beat the goat one thirty five. I am gonna throw another wrench in here, so we could say Stipe, Amanda Bisping, Nunes. Amanda Nunes. Yeah, Amanda Nunes has three wins. She's three and zero in the year. She beat Shevchenko. She beat Misha Tate, and she beat Ronda Rousey in one year, and she finished two of them. She finished Tate and Rousey in a calendar year, and she beat Shevchenko, who, who's no slouch either. I mean, that's a hell of a year. Yeah, I still I love Stipe, though, too, because he toppled uh, Arlovsky, legend, Verdum, the champion, and looking like a killer, and then uh, Overeem, also a legend. You know what? If he had beaten Kane, I guess Stipe doesn't have... You know, Noons beat the GOAT women's 135. And the number two GOAT at and, women's 35. And Garbrandt beat the GOAT men's 135. But then you go back to Bisping and... He beat the GOAT 185? Uh, but it's a such shell a, of diff- himself. a shell of himself. Maybe you could say Ronda's a shell of himself. Damn, this is tough. All right, here's one other thing. Let me say this with Bisping. He beat uh, Silva in a very tight contest, okay, and then it's like Luke Rockhold didn't really take him seriously, went in with his hands down. That was sort of fluky. And then he beat a 44-year-old Dan Henderson. He eh. beat two legends, but they were old legends. All right, I think I'm on this right now. I think just from talking this out loud, it's Garbrandt or it's Noons. Yeah. Last night completely shifted the whole like scheme of how we're looking at Fighter of the Year. Two people who won last night went from being, like, numbers 8 and 9 in the Fighter of the Year rankings to 1 and 2. Right. For me, at least. I, I would vote, I think in the end, I vote Garbrand 1 and Nunes 2. Just because Garbrand beat somebody who we still had, who still had that air of invincibility about him. Mm-hmm. And he, like, he was an underdog in a couple of those fights. I mean, he was a favorite in the Mizugaki fight. Um, I can't remember who he knocked out first. But he did beat. He knocked out Thomas Almeida, who was undefeated, and he, I'm pretty sure Garbrandt was an underdog in that fight. Uh, he beat Mizugaki, who's you know constantly a staple at 35, and then he beat the invincible Dominic Cruz in dominant fashion. So, I, I mean, we'll just throw it in. It's a fourth win. As a fourth win, he beat Augusto Mendez. Oh, Augusto Mendez from the lab. That was a short notice. But again, a, K, a KO in the Mendes first round. Mendez is a world-class grappler, too. I mean, if that went to the ground, it could have been a different story. Now, uh, in our very first episode, Gumby, which I encourage fans to go back and listen to, we were like nervous little school children. Um, we did a, a fun game. It was January of last year where we predicted what champions would still be champions at the end of the year. And are any of them uh, Mighty Mouse? <laughs> yeah, okay. And Joanna. And Joanna. And, and we, I am happy Those are to say. the only two left? Yeah, and I'm happy to say we both got them right. I'm actually going, <laughs> again, I'm freestyling off of this because I can't find my notes from that first show. But think about it. Who, obviously not women's 135 or men's 135. Yeah. Not uh, men's 145 because Connor never defended the title. They yeah, stripped him of it. Yeah, he's not the champ anymore. Uh, not not 55 because Connor is the champ now. Yeah, not Woodley. 170 because Woodley beat Lawler in an upset. Not 185 because of Bisping. Yeah. Not 205. Oh, they 205. S- I mean, it depends on whether or not you count stripping John Jones. No, but that was only an interim. They had already stripped him. Yeah, okay. Cormier was the okay, legit so, champion. So Cormier stayed. And neither of us uh, predicted that, so we both got that wrong. So Cormier was the third champion to yeah, stick. Yeah, we thought Jones would take it back off. And then heavyweight didn't. So anyway. What it a is. crazy year it was. I mean, just insane. 
Um, all right. Well, that wraps up the show. That wraps up the year. I hope you have a happy and a healthy and a safe uh, New Year's Eve if you celebrate such things. I am David Tremonti. He is Daniel Gumby Vreeland. This is Top Turtle MMA Podcast. Thank you so much for listening.